Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is I Need No Name, and today I am joined by Schnitzel. Hey, Schnitzel, how are you doing? Hey, man, it's nice to be back on our podcast with you again. I hope things are good at your end and uh, um, everything is fine with you. Uh, I'm just uh, talking about my life and not about Bayern Munich. So those are two different things. And if you're talking about Bayern Munich, uh, I think it's complicated. It is complicated, especially after the game we just saw, which is the fact that Bayern Munich, we beat Borussia Mönchengladbach. Can you believe that? I still cannot. I'm still not over it because it has been a while since we saw Bayern comprehensively beat Mönchengladbach. Forget just overcoming them. I mean, I, I can't even understand how we pulled off a two-goal margin against a bogey team that has been haunting us for years. And maybe one could attribute it to Jan Zomer not being there this time. But even with Jan Zomer, you know, on our side last season, we struggled against them. So I think this is a massive plus. But then again, this is also a relatively small sample size from a season where Mojang Gladbach is not really doing all that well in the league. So I don't know overall what you could say about Bayern Munich's stance from this game alone, but I think there were a lot of positives. Don't you agree? Yeah, yeah, I think do also think there were a lot of positives, but we are getting a bit ahead of ourselves because if we want to discuss things based on how things went in the last week or so, I think we should start with the conclusion of our transfer window. So last week, we talked about the signing of Sasha Bowie, which is apparently pronounced Bui, according to the commentators on Bundesliga's <laughs> live commentary, yeah. which I did not expect. And now we have brought in, this is a player whose name I thought was pronounced Brian Zaragoza, but it's apparently Brian Zaragoza or something like that. I I, it, it, I, I don't know how to yeah, say his name. It's it's it like bit, with the, yeah with the Z in Spanish like you do the yeah it's sound like it's uh, kind of yeah yeah and and a bit uh yeah it's Brian and not Brian Brian yeah, is it, more more the American way of saying it I would say like um probably yeah Brian Saragossa yeah Brian makes yeah. me think of Brian Tath from Game of Thrones which is <laughs> it, it, it's, it's it's a it's a weird association here because they could not be more different but. Zaragoza is here. I'm going to call him Zaragoza. I, I, I can't say the other one. And, it's okay. That's fine. That's fine. And now that the transfer window is closed, we can look back on it and say that we signed three players. All of them were pretty decent in terms of monetary value, and they were signed in positions of need. So what do we think about Christoph Freund's first transfer window? Do you think it was a success? Did he get the players we needed or... Did it leave something to be desired? So first things first, uh, I wish to reiterate that in the previous podcast with Ryan, uh, the flagship show, I also discussed a similar topic where we tried to evaluate Christoph Freund's window so far, but we thought that the sample size was also pretty small because it is a winter window after all, and you cannot really assess completely his work before you come to any solid conclusions because with Brazo as well, I remember us wanting at least two or three seasons of continued excellence on the transfer market to truly evaluate whether he was a bust or a huge gain for Bayern. And in this case, if you want me to purely comment on this transfer market alone, uh, sorry, this transfer window alone, I would say Eric Dyer was a pretty good transfer. He looks quite solid for us so far. I don't want to jinx it, but I, I must say he is far from a worst player right now, and I'm quite happy with that piece of transfer, especially because we got him almost on a free. And uh, with Zaragoza, I'm quite excited on what he has to offer. But also, it, it's, it's, it's one of the most exciting players uh, from La Liga that we have obtained for such a cut-rate price. It's $6 million, I believe, uh, totally, including all the bonuses, which is incredible. And with regards to Sasha Bui, Bui, I hope that's how it's pronounced. All these French names are so weird. Um, I don't know what to say about his performances at Bayern because we did not really get to see him completely. Like I didn't get a full glimpse, but uh, I would say from his performances at Galatasaray that he is the exact profile of attacking fullback that Bayern is looking for and also you really like because he tends to push up the pitch, he attacks relentlessly, and he's also very solid as a defender. But again, I would say that this has addressed certain positions of need, but that's only because Bayern has been pressed. And I would like to see how Christoph Front performs in a window where Bayern is willing to actually spend on players 
and we are looking to add a lot of quality. These are more dependable, solid options that we know will perform well, but none of these is like a game changer or an X-Factor player. So that is my overall assessment. That's true. And I think one point that you mentioned is very important to stress. The fact is that Bayern Munich were very much taking it easy in this winter window until all the injuries took place in the Union Berlin game. I think until that point, it was genuinely looking like Eric Dyer would be our only signing. And I know that a lot of people after the most recent Dyer performance, I think he was one of, if not the best defender in the game against Gladbach. He was absolutely imperious at the back. If not, after that game, people are all signing the Dyer apology forms and saying, okay, we were wrong about him and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I wasn't against the Eric Dreyer transfer. I think the reason that a lot of people were disappointed by it because it seemed like he was going to be the only one. And if he had been the only one, then we would have called the transfer window a failure. Now, it's a little bit concerning to me that Bayern Munich seemed like they were perfectly happy with only him before this slew of injuries took place in the Union Berlin game. Imagine if that had taken place, let's say a week later, say... For example, instead of happening against Union, those injuries, those same injuries happened against Gladbach. Could have been perfectly plausible, right? And by that point, it would have been too late to make the last minute signings of Bowie and Zaragoza. I think that says a lot about the priorities of the team bosses and how they see the squad and squad planning. They were forced to make these signings, right? They were forced to make these signings. It's not that they wanted to. It's not that they had a far-reaching plan to make this happen. And they were negotiating right from the beginning of the window to bring in Bowie and Zaragoza. And in fact, Bowie, while Christoph Freund might go to the media and say, yes, he it was our number one target for the position of right back, that sounds a little bit disingenuous because we know for a fact that Bayern Munich did negotiate for PSG's Nordi Mukiele as well as Kieran Trippier from Newcastle. Therefore, the last-minute transfer of Sasha Bowie with the massive, well, relatively high 30 million euro fee paid to Galatasaray almost seems like a panic buy. It's still, I think, a pretty decent deal, especially since a quality fullback for 30 million, that's almost unheard of, right? But it is the most expensive signing ever made from the Turkish league, and the timing of it is very suspect. It does make Bayern Munich seem reactionary. The same thing goes for the way Zaragoza's transfer was handled. If Bayern had made the same offer to Granada, maybe at the beginning of the window or even earlier, there is a decent chance we could have secured a signing for one or two million less, which, well, it makes you think that, again, another case where trying to wait has cost us a decent amount of money. Nothing to make us bankrupt because Bayern Munich is not that kind of club that we rely on scrounging up one or two million here and there just to make the budget every year, something like Barcelona does. But it is the kind of short-sightedness that keeps coming back to haunt us. It's the same thing that caused us to only move for Joao Palinha in the very last minutes of the summer window. And here, while it may not have cost us this time, The fact that it keeps happening is deeply concerning to me. The second thing I want to say is that overall, based on what I've seen of these players so far, I'm very satisfied with the depth of the squad going into the Rukrunda. However, I still think that we should have spent a decent amount of money on one more extra midfielder. I still think the midfield is a little bit too light as it stands. I think that, uh, like you mentioned, if the board's hand was not forced by the injuries, the transfer window might have looked very different. And that is quite concerning, as you mentioned. Having only Eric Dyer as a transfer might not have voted well for the rest of the season because we know that at Bayern, players are bound to get injured. It is just one or two injuries away from a collapse every season. And it's, it is concerning that the board decided to buy all of them at the very end, just pushing the buttons and trying to get the players to fill the positions without... I don't know, maybe even having enough time for negotiations. And I know that a lot of people say Bayern is a wealthy club and it's okay that we spend money on transfers. And it does. So so you and I, we are more, I think, concerned about the finances than the average Bayern fan. And 
it is it is very true because a lot of people I speak to don't really care how much Bayern spend as much as uh, as as long as we get a quality player. But I think every million counts, obviously, when you're on a negotiating position. And thirty million now that I think about it feels like a bit too much for a right back from a Turkish league, right? And I think maybe the negotiations would have also been better with Zaragoza's transfer had they begun earlier. But at the same time, I think Bayern is wealthy and they should be able to manage these transfers. But if you look at the entire slew of transfers that have been carried out over the past season and a half, Bayern has spent more in that period than they have ever spent in a season and a half in Bayern's history on signing transfers. Forget how much we made on selling the players. We did sell quite a lot of players and that helped us offset the amount that was you know, so uh, spent on buying so many top-notch players and some could argue uh, for a price that was unwarranted in some cases. But you get the impression that this team is really being tailored to Tuchel's wants and desires. Bayern Munich almost feels like they're spending in the winter transfer window only for the necessities because they want to save money for some splash buys, I fear, in the summer that would cater to Tuchel's needs, Tuchel's wins. And the team is slowly shaping up to be a team that is stacked with players that Tuchel likes and not players that fit a buying system per se. And I think that might be quite concerning in the long run. Well, the thing is, I'm not 100% sure I agree with that just yet. I don't think the evidence bears out that we are just filling the team with Tuchel players. Now, what do you say as a theory that Tuchel may be given a complete remit to reshape the squad in the coming summer and that's why Bayern Munich seem to be saving money that may well be true and it is something we have discussed before on this very pod but so far the players that have been purchased in the last two transfer windows they have been Bayern Munich style players like players like Harry Kane, Shacha Bowie, Kim Min-jae, um, Brian Zaragoza, I mean Brian oh my god all these guys like, these guys, they would fit under any recent Bayern Munich coach, whether it be Hansi Flick, Nagelsmann, Heinges, anyone. So, I would say that for now, Bayern Munich is maintaining its philosophy of buying to the squad and not to the coach. I understand the system argument, but I also think that, for example, we did not need to spend $30 million on a fullback. Because now that Mazraoui is back, I think we already have a starting fullback and now we have two very expensive players based on market value battling for the same position. And because we purchased Sasha Bowie for such a high fee, it doesn't seem like he would be a bench player. And I fear that we might create a logjam in various positions if we keep splashing a lot of money for quality players that would be competing for minutes anyways. I know that Bowie is a very good transfer, but I think it also is not a huge issue if you have an understudy player who can just be a solid backup option instead of just buying a whole slew of first teamers that may not get the minutes that they deserve. Well, the fact is that we did have that in Joseph Stanisic and you know what happened to Cole sent him out on loan and well, he's at our competitor by Leverkusen right now and I hear that he's getting minutes finally, which is nice, but this is a consequence of doing that. And I think the Sasha Bowie transfer was more necessary than you posit because Look at what happened in the game against Gladbach. Alfonso Davies got injured. Now, in the game again, the game just before that, you had like a situation where Rafael Guerrero was already having to play right back because we did not have any right backs left. So, based on that, I think the Bowie transfer was very necessary because even with Masrawi coming back, there was a decent chance with the fact that Davies could be out for anywhere between a week to a month and the fact that Rafael Guerrero seems to spend half his time in the hospital, that Matraoui, if he is fit, may have to spend minutes at left-back filling in. So I think that acquiring fullback depth was very important for Bayern Munich this winter. And with Bowie, it is good that the, t- the team bosses realized that hole and they filled it ASAP. Otherwise, think about what would be happening now. With that Davies injury from yesterday, if we had not signed Bowie, we would be down to just Rafa and Matsraoui as our fullbacks, and neither of them are particularly healthy. That would have been very dangerous. Instead, we have a little bit of breathing room because Bowie is available. 
I wish he'd been signed a little bit earlier in the transfer window so he could have spent more time with the team getting to know each other. But even so, I'm still in agreement that his transfer was necessary because of how many options it gives us across the back line and not just at right back. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I kind of agree in terms of the overall injury situation that it was much, much needed and that uh, it might also be worse now considering Davies is out. So it's possible that Mazrawi or Bowie or even Guerrero might fill in at the left-back position and the other full-back could take on the right, right-hand side. So I, I understand, but also I hope that the team doesn't buy more players to just stack the squad with more depth because don't you agree that also at this point of time, you said that we needed more midfield depth, but I kind of disagree because I think our midfield looks pretty decent right now in terms of the overall squad composition. Why did you say that you needed more players in the midfield? Well, the fact is that I think that with Kimmich, Pavlovich, Limer, Goretzka, it's an okay midfield. Don't get me wrong. But if one of these guys goes down, we are stuck with playing basically a pivot with one of either Kimmich or Pavlovich playing every single game. And I don't think that's very sustainable, especially since Kimmich has already been injured and Pavlovich is so young. You should not be expecting them to play, well, at least in Pavlovich's case, play 90 minutes in every single game. With the rise of Pavlovich, I think we should have been looking more at someone next to him, someone who could give both Goretzka and Limer more competition on top of being someone who could pair both with Kimmich and Pavlovich to give either of them more minutes as, how should I say, just as a rest. Because it feels like this season, our players play much better when they get a week or two of rest. I don't know why, I don't know how, but every single one of our players has shown a propensity to come back from a week off much better than they looked the week before. We can see it with Davies, we saw it with Goretzka after he was benched, we saw it with Sane, we saw it with Maziala, we saw it with Koman. We've seen it with everyone pretty much except Gnabry and except Muller. Muller who has performed pretty much the same no matter if he's benched or not, which has been often. So that can say a lot about the coach, maybe, but I think that it shows the value of rotation in this current system and I would have preferred more options for rotation, especially since I don't really trust Limer at the moment in our system. I don't really see him as a very viable option in midfield. Yeah, but yeah, but that's the problem, right? Tuchel also wants to play Limer at the fullback positions uh, at times, and it's frustrating because he has shown in the past to play anybody but Mazraoui there, and I'm surprised that Mazraoui actually got a start. I'm very surprised. Well, Limer was I- not fit, so... Oh, fair. A part of me fears that Mazrawi might actually leave the club very soon. Mm-hmm. I'm actually calling it. I think I think he might be gone by this summer or maybe the next winter window because some players are just being ostracized as we've already seen. And it, I, I'm coming back to the topic of buying enough players for the positions, right? So we think that they intended to buy players to offset an injury in the squad composition, but it could well be that Tuchel simply doesn't like a player. So we think that the intention is good and we tell ourselves that they were making smart moves, but it could also well be that they're trying to cater to Tuchel's whims and not undoing the complete opposite of what we're just thinking. But it's just turning out to be good for Bayern right now because they're just on a lucky sprint. And maybe come the summer, the squad composition might change completely. Well, not to be the devil's advocate here, and I'm not pro-Tuchel by any means, as anyone listening to this podcast for any length of time knows, but I can see the logic because if the coach wants certain amount of players in the team for depth, you should give it to him because as long as the players being brought in are quality players, it cannot harm the team. The only problem is if it starts, if the coach starts making calls to sell players, sell players like Matsrawi or Goretzka, it cannot be a bad thing if Tuchel brings quality talent into this team. It cannot be a bad thing if he brings in Harry Kane, no matter how much we spend. Right. So that is my opinion on giving Tuchel the players he wants. I have a totally different opinion on letting Tuchel do whatever he wants in terms of selling the players. But in terms of bringing players in, I'm completely in favor. But you do make a good point in terms of like what bringing in these players means, especially the Matsrawi point. I 
do think it's telling that Bayern went after players like Mukiele and Bowie, players who could feasibly be a starter at Bayern Munich, because it may be possible that in the summer, if Matsraoui were to leave, then Bayern Munich would be in a much better negotiation position for signing a replacement because they already have a ready-made replacement on the squad in the form of Bowie, which makes negotiations with other clubs much easier because we won't be seen as desperate. In fact, we could even let Matsraoui leave without a replacement and assume that next season we start with Bowie and Stanisic as our two starting fullbacks, which I do not think would be ideal because, as you know, I rate Matsraoui very highly and against Gladbach, he showed how good he is. Like, he was just flying down that right-hand flank and that was after such a long time out and he only played a few minutes in the Africa Cup of Nations. So, even so, I think that this would be a way for the club to hedge its bets on the position and how things are turning out. It gives us a lot of leeway. Same thing goes for signing Guerrero because Guerrero gives Bayern a better negotiating position to negotiate Davies' new contract because it means that if Davies were to leave, we would have Guerrero in as a potential replacement that we would not have to negotiate for, which gives us a better negotiating position for the future in case Davies were to leave, which is why I was in favor of that transfer as well at the time when it was made. That's fair. Yes. Yeah. Speaking of players yeah. uh, and positions of need, uh, what do you think of the wings right now? The wings, the wings are where it gets a bit complicated. Yeah. Um. So one thing I have to say is that it's a little bit weird that we did get Zaragoza when the obvious solution for Tuchel would have been to just move Muziala to the wing. If you assume that Muziala is a winger, then we have Muziala, Coman, Sane, Gnabry, and Zaragoza, and even Matty Tell as wingers. Six winger options for Tuchel positions, way too much. However, the problem is I don't think Tuchel sees it that way. I think he sees Muziala as a bona fide attacking midfield option. And if you look at it from that perspective, then the winger options make more sense. But it also says very bad things about the way Tuchel sees the lineup. And I think the lineup is the main thing we should discuss next because that is I where think, everything yeah, comes I together, you know? It could be concerning if Tuchel limits players by just pinpointing their positions, by just making them play one particular position and not letting them showcase their versatility which previous coaches have done. And there are some players who simply cannot just perform in one position. They're meant to play multiple positions. They have the IQ, the prowess, and the skill set to take on players in different positions. And Muziala, although he might excel pretty well in the AM role, I think he is pretty much unstoppable as a winger. And I've said this so many times in the past. He might not be rivery exactly, but he is as rivery region as it gets. And that man in tight spaces, imagine him stretching the wings and dribbling in, cutting in from the left-hand side. That would be far more of a menace to the opposition than being stifled in the center by the opposition midfielders and defenders. And we've spoken about this countless times, and so many managers in the past have also played him as a winger. But Tuchel has this adversity towards playing him as a winger, which is really concerning. And speaking of attacking midfielder slash winger players who are more of half-space players, if you may, Leroy Zane is another player who interprets the role the exact same way. And for that very reason, Tuchel should also start pushing certain players in their best positions and also not fixating them to just one spot. And we know that there are certain combinations of players who can give better output, like Thomas Müller and Muziala, for instance. But because he's adamant about playing Muziala as an AM, Müller has to be benched. And it's really sad and concerning that he is jeopardizing the player's best positions because he sees the team play in a certain way. And speaking of Leroy Zane, he's been having a slump in form. And I think most of it boils down to just him being played out of position, maybe not on his best position and not being consistent with the tactics, the strategy, and what he's supposed to do on the pitch. I feel like the instructions are not clear anymore and he doesn't have free reign like he used to interpret the role. Well, I'm going to go and say I somewhat disagree with your assessment. But first, I'm going to ask you, do you think that the lineup that we saw against Gladbach was pretty much the best lineup that Tuchel could have used in the time with the players he had available? Or do you think he could have selected someone better? When I first saw the lineup 
come out on paper. I think before the game itself, that was probably the best lineup that I could have put on the pitch, excepting maybe if him was here or Upamakano was here, I would have maybe swapped them for Eric Dyer. But otherwise, that was as close to a champagne lemon as it gets. Don't you agree? Well, I think that with the players we had available, that was the best lineup. And I'm genuinely surprised that Tuchel selected it. I thought he was going to go with exactly. Zaragoza and instead of Thomas Muller. And the problem is that Tuchel waits until the entire winger complement is injured until he puts Thomas Muller in the middle and Muziala on the wing. That is the entire problem that Tuchel has. And I don't get why he does that. Because we saw against Gladbach that even despite going 1-0 down, Bayern Munich played an excellent game and we pretty much dominated them from minute 1 to minute 90, barely allowed any chances outside of that mistake by Neuer. And, well, that is the kind of football I expect from this team. And it I think it's like a, a vicious time. cycle. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I think it's a Look, vicious cycle. Like he, he gets forced to make changes and then the changes somehow work out and show him really good results. And then the injured players come back and he makes the same mistake and the same cycle repeats itself. It's almost like the more Tuchel gets freedom, the worse he does. It is really like that. Like, look, when we were struggling with injuries, when we were struggling with fatigue, we came up against a very good Stuttgart side. And what happened? Tuchel was forced into putting out a very new, very inexperienced 4-4-2 formation that the team had not practiced before. And what happens? It performs perfectly. Possibly our best game. In fact, in my opinion, our best game under him. Now, the problem is, what does he go and say in the game, in the post-match presentation? He says that that game was completely unintended. That style of play that we did was completely forced by the options we had available and is not the way we want to play. That is pretty telling, in my opinion. What happens when Tuchel gets an extra time off to get his squad into shape before a game against Frankfurt because the Union Berlin game got snowed in. What happens? He takes that, he gives the players his utmost attention, and we go and we lose 5-1 to Frankfurt. Same thing happens in this half of the season where we have such a long time between the Hoffenheim and the Werder Bremen games that we literally go to Portugal and have a training camp where Tuchel apparently had time to build squad camaraderie or whatever. And then we come back and we lose 1-0 to Werder Bremen. Whereas this last week, suddenly we have Tuchel out for the entire week with a flu or something. I don't know what. He had some kind of illness. And he only rejoined team training on Friday for the game on Saturday. And what do we see against Gladbach? A perfect 11, perfect tactics, perfect execution. It's almost like the more influence Tuchel gets on the team, the worse it does. It is Controversial opinion. I think is the it controversial? probably... No, 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 no. Not what you said. I'm about to say something potentially okay. controversial. I think the team might actually do better on the pitch without a coach than with Tuchel if uh, allowed to implement the plans completely. Like the team by itself, just with Thomas Miller on the pitch, might probably do much better on the pitch than if Tuchel was allowed to execute his fairy tale wow. plan, the plan of his desires, I think. Well, look, when Tuchel gets his plan to execute, we end up playing U-ball all the time. Whereas when Thomas Muller is in there, we actually play good attacking football with some kind of plan. And we look like a team that has the mentality to come back. And I, I don't get why people are so surprised when this happens. Like, go watch Bayern Munich and they say, I don't see any plan in offense. I don't see any leadership on the pitch. Well, the guy who's in charge, he benched the guy who makes the offensive plan work and the leader of the entire team. What do you expect when that guy is benched? It's obvious. It's very it's telling. All... It's very telling that he hates all the leaders. The like it is. Uh, Kimish Muller. <laughs> he hates all of them. Yeah. yeah. But but after the performance against Gladbach, do you think Tuchel has seen the light, or is he gonna do what your buddy Nagelsmann did and go back to his bad habits? I think. He's going to do something... Okay, stop with the Nagelsmann slander again. We, I mean, we, we, it's not slander. Think... Nagelsmann did that. Nagelsmann got fired for doing that. No, he got fired because the board was too impatient and they made a very poor decision. Impatient? And we all know that. Yes. Okay. okay. We were in all three... Oh, I cannot mm. do this again, man. Come on. We were in all three competitions. <laughs> we were going for the treble. <laughs> we were second in the Bundesliga with so many games left to play. 
mm-hmm. and what happened the entire season was up in flames because they sacked a coach who was not supposed to be sacked at that point in time the team okay. was playing for him hearts out they were fighting for him on the pitch we saw that second game against psg they were absolutely destroying every club on their path and they were on course for a treble i still contest that with anyone who says otherwise i think mm-hmm. bayern might have won the treble that season if the coaching had not vanished in, into thin air and been replaced by a fraud basically i think okay and Tuchel so do have... you think Hugo is yeah. gonna do what the fraud did and well is he going to change the lineup to something that is much worse i'm going to ignore what you said at the beginning <laughs> and i'm just going to say Tuchel is probably going to revert back to his own tactics because that is what Tuchel does every team he's coached so far it worked perfectly in chelsea because the team was tailor-made for that tactic and chelsea fans love his style of play they crave him and psg was precisely the type of haram ball that he loves to execute just long balls from the top quick players to score goals and a very i think very very strong defense that emphasized on trying to shield potential counterattacks and any attacks and just playing against position uh, possession overall and it simply doesn't work for bayern he would try to chase something that never fit the club and we will regress back to where we came from interesting interesting honestly i have no hope for tuchel but on the outside chance that he keeps this lineup going, there is nothing that can realistically stop us from winning the last two trophies we are still here for. Because as long as we have these four players, Kane, Sane, Muziala, Muller, in the attack, I think that no matter what Tuchel does, we should be able to score. And as long as we does that, as long as we do that, what else? What else is left? Because Tuchel Ball does not concede many chances and I don't really see a team in the Champions League that would expose us if we played the same way we played against Gladbach with a few small improvements here and there. That Tuchel is probably gives me, my takeaway. Tuchel gives me like wannabe Real Madrid vibes. Like Real Madrid, maybe 2016, 17, 18, when they somehow just won games without actually deserving. Somehow, you mean like with the referee's help? Yeah, but but in this case, I mean, without the referee's help, but just with pure haram ball, I think it's also doable. If you defend against the team resolutely and manage to score off your few opportunities and somehow progress to the next stage in the Champions League, I don't think anyone's going to be crying. Well, but that's then... not... The thing is that against the games that we actually play well, that is not what we do. We we go on the front foot, we play great football, we score boatloads of goals pretty easily. Like There is potential in this team, isn't there? Um, the Champions League performances of Bayern tell me otherwise. Yeah, but we didn't use those. We're going to have to pick this up because our meeting is about to end. But after this break, we'll be right back and we will be continuing this um, discussion. Okay? Yep. Okay, we are back after this break. And I hope it was a break for you. I don't know if it was, depending on whether you're using an ad blocker or if you're on Spotify Premium or whatever. But yeah. Our next topic of discussion is probably going to be the topic of Leroy Sané, specifically the point about his finishing. Now, in the beginning of the season, Leroy Sané was absolutely insane. He was scoring pretty much at will, and we were all very happy with him. But recently, in the last few months, pretty much ever since that international break where he got that red card, if anyone remembers... He has been in a bit of a scoring slump, and because of that, well, it's been frustrating. It was mostly showcased against Gladbach, where Sani had two really good chances, and he did not convert either of them, and he did not really get his shots on target either. It's been a while since he has scored, and I'm wondering if this is turning into a serious problem for Bayern Munich. The fact that Leroy Sane, he always starts the season very promising, and then ends up in a sort of a rut that we find himself finds him in at this point in the season. I know that it seems like a recurring problem, and I know that many people have criticized his tendency to just stray away from the game plan in the past, but also lose his focus, be a little indisciplined, maybe not try as much on the pitch has been one of the biggest criticisms that I've heard of him in recent years. But also there is some recurring theme underlying his slump times. And whenever you look at the way managers have coached him, there's always this pattern where 
everything is, seems to be going really well for Sané and for the manager. And then they suddenly have to tinker with the position. They have to tinker with how the player plays and they have to maybe like switch him from left wing to right wing or from right wing to left wing or play him as an attacking midfielder and then switch him back to winger or something happens and that jeopardizes the way he plays and he looks confused and he looks a shell of his former self. And with Tuchel's Bayern, I feel like he needlessly had to tinker with Sonny's positioning. He swapped his wing position to the opposite wing and he also seems to have less of a clue with what he's supposed to do on pitch at times. He dribbles too much, he takes erratic shots, and sometimes he takes shots when he could have made the pass to maybe set up a team player. So I don't know. I cannot pinpoint exactly what's going wrong here, but I know that for sure the coaching has something to do with it. I'm not sure if it's the coaching, because we have seen this version of Sané under several coaches now, Flick, Nagelsmann, and Tuchel. So... At some point, you have to point a finger at the player. Like, if it was only a single coach under whom Sonny had this problem, you would not say that it was the coach's fault. I, I mean, you would say it was the coach's fault. We would not say it was the player's fault. But Sonny has been like this pretty much ever since he came to Bayern Munich. And while certain aspects of his game have improved a lot, especially his ability to work for the team and track back and do all the hard work that sometimes gets neglected, by attacking players, still, his output in the final third, well, we just expect more, don't we? We expect what we saw in the Rook, sorry, the Hinrunda, where he was pretty much scoring and assisting at will. Since then, it's gotten much worse for him. And I have to ask, if this has become a recurring problem for him, what do we do? Do With his contract coming up for extension, do we, do we offer him a new contract with a pay rise? So I don't know why the player... So I don't know, like in the Hinrunda, for example, he used to play much more simple and straightforward football. If it was a pass, he would make that pass. If it was a finish, he knew that it was going at the back of the net and he would finish it. And now he just seems to overcomplicate things, like taking a touch too much, like a pad too much of dribbling here and there and forcing shots almost, not waiting for the perfect opportunity to just score a goal. Maybe impatience, maybe just, I don't know, the... The lack of intensity probably in his play and maybe he doesn't look as sharp as he did before. I don't, like I said, I, I cannot pinpoint exactly what's going wrong, but I can see that this is now becoming an issue because every season he does have a period. It could be at the beginning, it could be towards the end where he has this kind of slump. And you cannot even attribute it to injuries anymore because um, even during a period where he suffered injuries back in the Hinrunde, he did come back strong, but right now he is not having the best of time. So with the upcoming contract, I would say that right now the best course of action would be, number one, see how Brian Saragossa functions for Bayern and see if he can be that winger, that difference maker for us. And if he indeed rises to the occasion and plays really well, then we need to first sell Gnabry before we ponder selling Sané because... Gnabry will not fetch us any amount of money if we keep delaying his sale and his value is just going to depreciate further to the point where selling him won't make any sense and he would just be load to carry, basically dead wood. And you know that as soon as you've said that about Gnabry, he's going to come back from injury and score five goals in five games? Maybe that's why I said it, because I <laughs> want to see that happen. Because I'm, I'm just tired of seeing him either ride the bench or come on the pitch but have nothing of consequence to add to the team's um, efficiency or performances so you could say I that want the player to show yeah but Gnabry you could say that but Gnabry has not graced the pitch at all like he is not getting any game time and I doubt that's only because Tuchel hates the player I think it's also because his first performances during the training sessions I think he's just not as good as the other options we have he's just not making the cut he has been injured for several he, months he's also making 18 million a month almost right well, that's not a lot of money injured. What do you mean not while he's injured? He's making the uh, same amount of no, money. No, no, no. Actually, actually, how it works in Germany is that you don't you don't have to pay the full salary while the player is injured. You only have to pay, like, I think, a certain number of days. And then after that, insurance takes over. So as long as Gennady uh, stays injured, Bayern okay. Munich is not on the hook for his... But, but, but would you agree if I said that once Gnabry is back from the injury stint, he should either perform or be sold? Well, yes. And obviously, I agree with that. But... I can think. I think I can say that about pretty much any of the players on the team. I agree, but that the, Gnabry is probably yeah. 
a guy with the shortest leash at the moment in the current setup. Aside from the players yes. that obviously will have to be sold, guys like Bunasar. Bunasar's contract is expiring. It doesn't matter. Guys like Chupomoting, these gonna they're gonna go. And they will probably not necessarily be missed. But Gnabry, he needs to fight for his spot, especially with Zaragoza here. The thing is I think when that... you ponder a player's sale, you yeah. also need to look at the situation of the position overall. Yeah. And I would say that if we sell Gnabry and if he fetches a decent amount of money, and I don't think he's going to fetch anything above two, 20 million. And even that, if you're lucky. And if we do manage to sell him, we have Leroy Zani now and we might ponder a sale. But then we would suddenly be two wingers short and we have Kingsley Coman who's so injury prone. And we also have Tuchel who hates playing Muziel on the wing. So essentially we're reduced to two wingers if Matty Tell counts as a winger. And maybe Brian Zaragoza, if uh, Tuchel is ready to play him, give him a consistent starting spot. And if that doesn't happen, we are suddenly looking at very, very low wing depth. And I would say that a club of Bayern Stager has to go out and recruit someone top-notch, like a very, very good winger to be that X-factor game-changer player. And obviously, Kylian Mbappe is now going to Real Madrid. So that means Bayern has to push even harder to fetch a really good player off the transfer market. And if they yeah, don't just, do that... Just hijack. Maybe hijack the deal, yeah. I mean, we had a really <laughs> good chance to do it when Luca Hernandez was playing for Bayern, and now he's not anymore. And he's gone to PSG. So now we don't have... I don't know, maybe Upa Makana could try and persuade Mbappe. I don't know who we might use in that negotiation. Like, at least for Harry Kane, we did entice him with the possibility of a Kyle Walker, maybe, or a Calvin Phillips. And we eventually also brought Eric Dyer. So now he has a teammate with him. But Kylian Mbappe also probably needs someone here because he's fluent through French and it might be helpful to have someone who could make him settle easily here. I'll be but honest, you if, can't say the same if, Mbappe, if Mbappe asked for Dembele or Pogba, we have to just say no. We, yeah, we have to just say no, thanks. Yeah, because Real Madrid already has a very bright French contingent and they have so many young French players who could also make it easier for Mbappe to just adjust to the squad, which arguably we do not have other than maybe anymore. Yeah, we used to, but we used to. like you said, not anymore. Yes, yeah. So... It is frustrating, but uh, we need a very, very good winger. We need a world-class winger, to be fair. And if we don't get that player, we keep Sané. As simple as that. So we buy the winger first and then ponder selling Sané. Or we just forget selling Sané altogether and just extend him. Because we are hard-pressed for options right now. Mm. What about a certain... Well, we have talked about Sané then. Let's talk about a positive from the last few weeks, which is Alexander Pavlovich. Now, I'm going to put this out there. I think that if Pavlovich's name was Pavli and he played for Barcelona, he would be the talk of the entire footballing world. He would be up for the Golden Boy Award and people would be saying that he's worth 250 million, you know? I genuinely think that because of the performances that he's put up so far. And I think this might concern certain players on the team right now, especially Joshua Kimmich. Because a lot of the fan base seems to already be done with Kimmich and wants to see Pavlovich take over his spot in defensive midfield. And after the performance against Gladbach, I'm also coming around to that conclusion. What do you make of Pavlovich and his future at Bayern, Schenzel? I think Pavlovich is who João Palinha thinks he is. What? I think I said Pavlovich is who João Palinha thinks he is. I heard you. I, I, don't, I don't understand it. I, I mean... Pavlovich is an incredible player. I'm just saying that Palinia, mm -hmm. Palinia was going to be signed by Bayern, and now I think they should just not have done it. It's great that we dodged the bullet, honestly. 65 million for the player when we have a better player right now who could mature to become even better, maybe a top five in the world midfielder. I'm getting ahead of myself right now, but I think what we have seen at his age on the pitch, the maturity that he displays, I'm just going to pull a few stats for you. You know, in the past three, two or three games when he started, he has scored two goals, assisted twice. He has seven shots on target. He has won 59 tackles. That's almost 20 a game. 20 tackles that he's won a game. Have you ever heard of such an obscene number for a 19-year-old in your entire life? Well, not for a 19-year-old, but it does remind me of what Thiago used to do. Like prime Thiago, maybe at his very best. But like 59 tackles across two and a half games is... I don't even know what to say anymore. Like this guy is insane. And... He wins three aerial duels and and 
overall nine appearances, sure, but he has had very limited time on the pitch if you add all of the minutes that he's had. Most of those were substitute appearances, and very recently he's been gaining more time on the pitch. And within that limited time frame, he's had 59 tackles. Okay. He has covered, yeah, and, and he's covered a distance of 72.3 kilometers, which is almost averaging 19 kilometers, 19 to 20 kilometers in a 90-minute period, if you just look at games in isolation. And he has 30.25 kilometers per hour as the average speed in sprints. And he makes very intense runs, 441 intensive runs and 95 sprints. I think this is as close to a proper out-and-out six as it gets. But the best part is he is also very good at passing. So we do have almost a Thiago region, but not someone with the flair of Thiago, I would say, but someone more on the ilk of if you combine a Yozua Kimmich with... uh, an out-and-out destroyer like Javi Martinez, you'll get Pavlovich. Mm, that is interesting. I see him much more as a Thiago-esque player, really, in the sense that I would not say he's an out-and-out destroyer. I would say he's more of a true deep-line playmaker, um, but a modern deep-line playmaker, not someone like what Zabi Alonso used to be in his playing career or what Tony Kroos is right now, but more of a player that is both mobile, can contribute by heading up the pitch and getting into the attacking positions, but is also very good at staying back, keeping the tempo of the pitch, I mean, of the team, and also shielding the back line. Basically, the, at the risk an, of an ideal disappointing you. Yeah. At the risk of disappointing you, I want to say a player I think he closely resembles is Declan Rice. Mm. And I mean that as a compliment. Yeah. Because... Rice has a very similar profile, and Bayern was interested in signing Rice. Yes, and we would have possibly signed him if he did not cost such an obscene amount of money. And I think we were also pretty close to signing him, and then all of a sudden, the Prem clubs came in and they tried to swoop in on him, and Arsenal obviously paid $110 just crazy for the midfielder, and they ended up signing him. But truth be told, I think the profiles line up quite well. They both are very good at playmaking. They're good at making runs into the box. We saw that both the goals scored by Pavlovich were consequences of his placement and his run inside the box. His movement is really well coordinated for the rest of the team. But I think the most impressive facet of his game for me, because since Thiago, we've been struggling with that aspect of the game a bit, I think. And it has been masked because the team has usually been tailored to play such a high gig and pressing line and the counterplus has been so stifling that teams have been unable to pressure the midfield as much. But this player is a defensive beast. I think he's not an out-and-out six like Casemiro, who is a scum, by the way. I hate that player. And someone else, maybe like the mold of João Paninha or some other big six has come to mind, like Marco Verratti, for example, just very resolute and defended really well. But um, Pavlovich has very good positioning to be at the right time uh, make that interception or that tackle that's necessary. And he wins most of his duels, which is great because he's just 19 years old. And we've seen often with these youngsters that they get outmuscled very easily by opposition. But this player is holding his own against some of the best attackers. So it looks very, very promising. And I hope Flick doesn't do what he did with Matty Tell and completely erase his minutes altogether just because he decided to. Because it could really help his development if he could get games on a consistent basis. Now, I don't want him to start every game because that might run him into the ground, but at least once every two or three games would be nice. Okay, so a small Freudian slip there from Schnitzel. He said Flick instead of Tuchel. But I'm going to say this. Do you think that Pavlovich should bench Joshua Kemic? I think under Tuchel's current system, Pavlovich uh, benches Kemic simply because Kemic is not tailored to play what Tuchel wants him to do. And Tuchel is against gegenpressing almost. It's so frustrating. But his system is not tailor-made for Kimmich. Pavlovich fits better in the current system. And he can be paired with Guerrero or Goretzka or anyone, and he still thrives. So I think Pavlovich, maybe with a few more games at this level, I'm starting to warm up to the idea that he makes the starting level over Kimmich. But I would also like to know what you think about it. I was thinking of a Pavlovich-Kimmich pivot. No, is that what you want to see or are you just contemplating I was it? thinking. I was thinking it might be a good one because we recall in the treble year, 
before there was a time where Tiago and Kimmich made a very solid partnership in the middle when Goretzka was out. And then when Goretzka came back, it wasn't until I think Pavard got injured that Goretzka returned to the starting 11 as a surefire starter as in midfield because Kimmich had to move to right back. So I think if Kimmich were to be put in that position again, he might do better than he has been recently trying to be a six in Tupul system. Maybe if he were allowed to be an eight or forced to be an eight, maybe he wouldn't be happy about it, but maybe it would be good for his own play style in the system. And maybe it would unlock avenues for Bayern Munich as well and prevent some of the U-shaped football that we've been seeing recently because Kimmich is one of those players who can make line breaking passes and passes over the top and crosses the type of balls that we need to break down resolute defenses. I see a lot of potential there, especially since Goretzka, I think he's good defensively and a good physical presence in midfield, but he's not been very useful going forward in the current system. Again, all of this is a failing of the coach because these midfielders, in my opinion, are capable of more. But in the context of what Bayern Munich is doing right now, I think Kimmich Pavlovich could be a very interesting option for the coach to use. I think I'll, I find it interesting what you mentioned because I agree that in the current system, in Tuchel's system, Goretzka seems like a useless player. It's so sad because he is one of the best midfielders. He's so physically gifted and he has played that role so well for us, the enforcer, the person who charges from behind the lines and scores goals, makes late runs into the box, just embraces that box-to-box role a very physical, menacing presence. And then Tuchel has reduced him to a shell of his former self. And now he just looks lost in the current system. And again, the U-shaped football, it keeps happening again and again. And we might need players who are more dynamic in the sense that they're creative and they keep switching because the U-shaped football is something that will plague this team. And when the team starts playing in a U-shape, Goretzka doesn't have a role in it. But I think Kemish and Pavlovich could make a good partnership simply because they both are very good at unlocking defenses and playing direct balls, just like we've seen Kemish do in the past years. He can unlock defenses if they put up a resolute defense by just sending a through ball from the top or by splitting the defense with his passes. And that is just something Goretzka does not offer. But at the same time, teams will have a much easier time outmuscling the midfield if we face a physical midfield without Goretzka. I think that's fair. I think that's a fair assessment. But I feel that given that Tuchel's football is very possession-oriented, that is less of a concern than it was under previous coaches like Blick and Nagelsmann, where the physicality of the midfield was much more important. We remembered there was a game against Barcelona where we had Kimmich and Sabitzer in midfield, and they were getting very much outmuscled by Barca because they had Gavi and Busquets. And then... Um, Goretzka comes on for Sabitzer, and suddenly we have the advantage. That was very important when Nagelsmann was coach. But in Tuchel's system, where we often end up dominating possession almost 60-70%, to sometimes even more than that, and I expect that to be the same regardless of who we face, unless it's Manchester City. And even against City, I would expect the possession sets to be closer to 50-50, rather than something like very lopsided. In that circumstance, I don't think physicality is as big a deal as the passing acumen of the players, especially given that we keep falling into an offensive hole with the U-shape. That's why I feel that Tuko should experiment with the Kimmich-Pavlovich pivot at some point in the near future. Now, the question is, should he do it against Leverkusen? And what should he do against Leverkusen, in fact? Let's talk about that. So I think Tuchel's possession, when you keep mentioning Tuchel boasts possession, his team's boasts possession, I think his possession-based football at Bayern is what I would like to call passive possession. It's possession, Mm. but it's useless. Yes. It doesn't yield much fruit. It's just a lot of passing, but it doesn't yield any breakthrough. And we're just tiring out the players. And the opposition is just content to just stay in their own half and just wait because nothing's coming at them. But we've seen that possessions in the past, I have seen Flick's teams dominate possession as well for long stretches, like 60-70%, but it was useful possession. It would be balls through the middle with intent. It would be players attacking wave after wave, and we would still regain the ball. And the regaining the ball is what made the possession stats so high for us, because we, even if we gave the ball away, we would get it under two possessions. We would get it back. But with Tuchel, it's like if we give the ball away, it's not like the players really want to pursue the ball, and we just wait for them to attack and lose the ball to us before we can enjoy the U-shape again. 
So it's what I call passive possession. And I think the play style is also very different. And with Tuchel, I think I spoke to Ryan about this uh, multiple times in the past. It was that Tuchel fares really well against teams that also want to attack. And we've seen this happen. Like teams, I mean, who don't just camp at their own halves, who also don't mind venturing out of their halves because Tuchel focuses on defending well. And the well part could be argued for Bayern, but we've seen Chelsea do it so well. That's what won them the Champions League, their defense. So many 1-0 games, so many 2-1 victories. He ground them out, but in the end, he won it all. And PSG, to an extent, also had a very good defense with Marquinhos and Verratti, if you remember. They also had a bunch of other really strong defensive players. Uh, Kimpembe was fantastic under Tuchel in that treble-winning season. Uh, treble, what am I saying? In Bayern's <laughs> treble-winning season. Yeah. But 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 now, the, the style simply doesn't fit against opposition that like to bunker up in their own half. But thankfully, against Leverkusen, and I probably might jinx Bayern Munich into a loss, but I am just going to go out and say that Bayern is going to win this simply because Leverkusen will also come with attacking intent. And I don't think Xabi will make his team camp in their own half. I think they will also try and fashion their chances. And that means Tuchel can play his brand of football, which is defend resolutely and just hope and pray for those two chances to fall for your team, score, and then again defend. And if you get possession, dominate with the U-shape and wait till the time runs out and enjoy the victory. I'm going to disagree on the characteriz- characterization of two goals system here because I understand why it can seem like Tuchel's teams are better against teams that tend to attack but that is a very small sample size we have an almost equivalent sample size of Tuchel's teams failing quite horribly against teams that are more offensively oriented for every game that we have against a team like Dortmund or Stuttgart we also have the games against City we have the games against Leipzig we have the games against Leverkusen in the first half of the season We have the games against Man United. All of those games, the teams against us, they came out to play and they weren't always perfect, but they did quite well against us by making us uncomfortable and making sure that we did not really settle in into our possession-based football. The same... I would argue... I think... I I would argue that the... Yeah, go ahead. I would argue that the game against Man United, for example, does not belong to this category because... Man United did also defend and everything was going to game plan till the very end when everything collapsed and it was defensive errors, it was lapses in concentration. Like we were bossing comfortably till halftime or even like till 60 or the 70 minute mark. The team was working perfectly against United. And I wouldn't United... agree. I would I would say that Bayern Munich was actually very mediocre against United. And the only thing is that United were even more mediocre. Um, which sounds weird to say, but it is something that we've seen this team do before. And we've seen it in the Champions League, in fact, where I remember against Inter Milan last season, we did not play particularly well against them, but we didn't need to because Inter played even worse than we did. That's what I saw from Man United, a very mediocre team being challenged by an even more mediocre team that really should have been played off the park by us. If we had seen a Hansi Flick team against that Man United team, that that should have been an 8-2 style scoreline. Instead, it was something like a 4-3. So... That's how I personally see that game and because, because the outcome. Because the game against Werder Bremen, for example, or the game against mm. FC Copenhagen, they are teams that obviously like to defend. And then we saw that Hansi Fle- uh, sorry, Thomas Tuchel's side was having problems because when the team defends, you don't know what to do with the U-shaped possession. And when the team regains the ball, we are caught off guard because we don't have answers. We expect possession to be the answer. We think that eventually they will fashion an opening, a chance, and we will score somehow. But that doesn't always work out. And Bremen needed just one chance. That's the problem, right? Opposition teams need just one chance to counterattack. And if that becomes a goal, they win the game. Because well, then they will continue defending. And Tuchel Ball will not give any solutions because, again, the U-shape comes into the picture. Well, what you're talking about is the reality. And I'm talking about what the coach theoretically wants to achieve. And I think that conversation needs to be had because what the coach wants to achieve is very important to understand if we want to predict future lineups and future trends and how this team will, well, shape up. Thomas Tuchel, in the Stuttgart game, we saw a very defensive team. We saw a setup which was a classic 4-4-2, and we saw the team concede possession for the first time in this season and pretty much for the first time in years. And 
became out runaway winners. Stuttgart did not even have a full 0.5 XG. I think their XG was something like 0.02 or something small like that. I can't even remember Gurasi getting a single chance. That is not, that is a characteristic defensive performance, but that is not how Tuchel wants us to play. Tuchel does want us to play passive football. I don't disagree with you on that, but I think he wants us to play what is essentially what we would characterize as tiki-taka, which is one-touch passing, triangles, that whole kind of thing, which is a very defensive style of play. It often results in what we call the U-shape, which we see often on the pitch, but it's also very safe because unlike in a system like in Flicks football, where you're often losing the ball and regaining it, in Tuchel's system, you can't, you don't lose the ball often, or at least you don't intend to lose the ball very often, which leads to lopsided possession statistics and lopsided XG statistics because you're often keeping the opponent away from your goal as much as possible. This was exposed, and I was going to mention this in my earlier point, in the game against Eintracht Frankfurt. Tuchel tried to have his team play that way, and Frankfurt came out with a plan to disrupt that exact style of play. Frankfurt had us exposed because they stopped our possession football, and then they started creating chances. And at that point, Tuchel's so-called defensive system fell apart. There is no actual defensive scheme at Bayern Munich. It is not like... It is not like a team like Juventus who actually defend or a team like Atletico Madrid who actually defend against the ball with 10 men. We rely on dominating possession and limiting chances, which is something that even Manchester City do. It is not a bad tactic, but the way Tuchel implements it leaves a lot to be desired, which you can see against, it was exposed against Frankfurt because on a man-to-man basis, this team cannot defend even against an attack of Frankfurt's caliber, let alone a team again like Manchester City or Madrid. That is what I see in Tuchel's Bayern as the Achilles heel. So, therefore, I see Tuchel's team as fundamentally a possession-oriented, potentially attacking team, but a team that sort of only wants to score one or two goals and then just control the game, rather than a team like what Flick had, which would go absolutely like two completely 100 miles an hour Every single minute, even in the final minutes of a Champions League final, you remember Flick's team was still trying to attack PSG's goal despite being 1-0 up and despite numerous scares with Chupamoting almost scoring in the dying minutes. That was Flick's philosophy and Tuchel's philosophy is the complete opposite end of the spectrum, but with somewhat similar, um, how should I say it, somewhat similar effects on the pitch where you see dominant possession, but a very different idea of what to do with that possession. And I think this is important because it informs us of what Tuchel wants to do in terms of the lineup. It kind of tells us why he doesn't start Thomas Muller, for example, because Thomas Muller is a guy who is not built for this type of system. He's built for the other system, which is the t- system that Gagin presses and the system that is hell-bent on creating chances and overwhelming the o- opponent with offensive pressure. Muller generates a lot of offensive pressure and he helps gain the ball back, but he's not very good in possession because often when he gets the ball, his passes are very risky and he often loses the ball because of that. His dispossession rate is actually relatively high, not in terms of just statistics because statistics count dispossessions in a very specific, narrow way. But if you just watch the games that Muller plays, often his runs or his actions on the ball, they do result in an opponent cutting the ball out and gaining possession from that. So I think that's why Tuchel sees him as somewhat of a liability in possession and in his system. And that's why he keeps him out. And that's what leads to our team often playing the type of football that we do. Because a lot of the time you see players outside of Harry Kane not taking any risks with their passing and therefore constantly passing sideways to another player. And instead of passing towards the goal, you pass around the goal, which is the exact reason why the U-shape occurs in the first place. It is a philosophical uh, problem in the system rather than necessarily a tactical one. Tuchel wants to hold possession because it is defensively what his team needs to do to not concede, but it therefore also sacrifices our efficiency in attack. For now, the equation works out in his favor because as long as he has Harry Kane, he's going to come out on top because Harry Kane is the best striker in the world. But how long is that going to work? We don't know. And Is he going to make the same mistakes he's kept on making in the lineup? I think so, because of what he wants. Yes. um, I kind of 
I kind of understand your point about what Flick wants to happen on the pitch and what we actually see happen. And Tuchel. the fact that possession overlaps with Flick and with uh, Tuchel's team, yes. but then what we end what we end up getting is vastly different because Flick's philosophy and Tuchel's philosophy, or at least what they try to implement with the team, is also different because. With Flick, even if you dominate possession, you tend to give up goals, but then you also outscore the opponent almost definitely. But with Tuchel ball, even if the opposition might be able to fancy one or two chances and score a goal, two goals might be enough to win your game simply because we limit the chances that the opposition gets because we dominate possession. But I'm not sure this will work against Leverkusen simply because Leverkusen is a team that can defend really well and also attack really well. A team that looks to have little to no weaknesses. And that is the main reason why they haven't lost a single game in the entire season so far. And that is also why I'm concerned because Flick's football could be... Sorry, what am I saying? I'm constantly... He, conf- you cop calling him. Maybe, 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 it's, maybe it's the inner wishful me just hoping that we somehow hire Flick because it is a possibility. The man might be signed by Barcelona very soon. And I somehow want Bayern to hijack that deal, but it's not going to happen. So anyways... Tuchel's football might get exposed really badly or this ends up going really well for Tuchel because we know that in pivotal games which are make or break for Tuchel where he might get sacked the team somehow comes out with a victory like for example the game after the entire Frankfurt game like we did win that game as well so I feel like somehow Tuchel might pull this off but in the long run this will this might hinder us anyways but that being said if we beat Leverkusen we will be in pole position to win the Bundesliga so if and, and I hate to say this, if Bayern somehow salvage a Bundesliga trophy and flounder really badly in the Champions League, Tuchel still stays. It doesn't matter that he flopped in the Champions League and the DFB Pokal last season and barely managed to win the Bundesliga courtesy of the biggest bottlers in the history of football. And in this season, because, well, he could just eke out that win against Leverkusen and barely scrape a Bundesliga title and stay for another season where this persists and we have the same problems as before but on the other side of the spectrum you can also expect a thundering a thumping loss against Leverkusen when we get absolutely obliterated and then he just leaves the club I guess but I think that if he loses to Lazio I think he's gone I think he's gone I 100% so. 100% and he should well, go no right? there is no excuse yeah yeah, yeah. of course it's Lazio yeah. it's Lazio I mean come on um I think we have to leave it there for today and yeah that's I think fair. we had a productive discussion. At least I hope it was productive. And I guess, well, since EG, you want to do the outro? I sure could. Thank you all for listening. Once again, feel free to like, rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast on any and all podcasting platforms of your choice, be it Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, um, and continue giving us your feedback and your support in the comments at Bavarian Football Works. You can find all of these podcasters except me on Twitter, and all the Twitter links will be displayed on the pod article, which you can also see and check out uh, in at, uh, I forgot your Twitter tag. What was it? BFWI triple N. Yes, there you go. So you can follow all of these guys. And of course, feel free to also interact with BFW's Twitter channel and stay tuned for more podcasts in the future. Uh, for now, this is me, Schnitzel, and I need your name signing off. Vielen Dank und auf Wiedersehen. Thank you for listening and good night.